Thanks very much for asking me to join with you today. Um, I haven't heard of, of you as a group until you contacted me, but I'm delighted to hear that there's a group of um, Muslim women in surgery. If this had been something that I'd, that I'd had available or as a support when I was going through training, it would have been um, an amazing um, resource and um, support, inshallah. I hope um, you guys find it mutually beneficial. So I just wanted to, you know, it's, it's a mutual beneficial thing I wanted to find out more about what you do but also to share some of my experiences um everyone's experiences I'm sure are very different and it's very situational based um but I hadn't really wanted to become a surgeon at medical school I'd I'd it wasn't something that I was sure about I'd been thinking about obstetrics and gynecology um but I'd always enjoyed my surgical um blocks and 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 then towards the end of my my degree chose to to um, to try a career in surgery. What was this whole tipping point for you, I guess, in medical school that made you think surgery or after medical school that made you think, okay, that's where I want to go down? Um, I think when I mean, during medical school, I'd love, I really, I loved all or this, the teaching that we had then was maybe a little different to what you guys are experiencing now. It's more of a traditional um, kind of two years in, in university lectures and, and labs and, and lots and lots of anatomy um, and then three years of clinical years so we had lots of experience on the wards um, and I'd enjoyed all of my blocks medicine and surgery obstetrics and gynecology and pediatrics um, I think I think as I became more experienced at medical school I realized that surgery seemed to be a lot more it just seemed to make sense you know you could work out if you took a, if you took a good history and you did the examination just like with a lot of things it just it was it was like puzzle that you had to figure out but the actual physiology what was going wrong particularly in general surgery you could work it out and how patients presented seemed to fit with what their problems were and it just I just love being in theatre and I love the that you know very simply you could actually unblock somebody or um you know sort a problem very in a very hands-on way so that really appealed um and I just thought I also like the vibe there was a lot of you kind of got good chat in theatre um there was camaraderie that I didn't always see in other specialties as well that, that appealed to me. That's great. I actually haven't experienced the uh, good chats in theatre yet, but hopefully, <laughs> uh, inshallah, <laughs> we'll experience those soon. Um, I guess my next question for you is about, so you said that you enjoyed all these parts of surgery, but what deterred you away from it? What? Um, I think going prior to going to medical school I wanted as a kind of older child and teenager I'd been thinking I'd been thinking about a career in medicine and I was working towards that um and I'd been thinking about something like maybe obstetrics and gynecology chance to work with with women um that also appealed I think during medical school surgery seemed this was in we're talking the 90s last century um it just seemed like a very elite um high high achieving um, kind of specialty to and and I didn't ha I, I suppose I had um, I didn't know that from a confidence point of view whether to actually think that I could be a surgeon that's that's what probably was the bigger biggest limiting factor probably my own um, kind of self my own kind of self belief about what what it meant to be a surgeon what surgeons were like and not having I guess good good examples of of how to be how to have a fulfilling life and tick all the boxes, but still 
to surgery. I think that that seemed to be quite um, quite a difficult thing to square. So I don't think it was any. There was no. There there wasn't much in the way of other other people, whether it's family or friends, saying no, don't do surgery because of X Y Z. It was more of just my own perceptions of what what surgery meant. Yeah, it must have been really hard. You're actually one of the first, I guess, um, Muslim surgical trainees. So it's hard when you don't see these inspiring women like you. And like it's, it's so much easier, like you said, within this network to see someone else that's like you, that's gone through it, that's doing it all. So inshallah, we can all aim to be somewhat like you um, in some ways. And I guess, did religion or God play any role in your decision to go into surgery or not go into surgery? Well, as I said, I'd really, I'd really enjoyed my, my blocks. Um, I, I think I, would, I was leaning towards thinking that I really enjoyed surgery. I was, I was good at it. Um, in terms of the surgical exams and surgical blocks that seemed to do quite well, I got good feedback. Um, but in my final year, um, one thing that, 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 that really made it a very significant difference is I actually got the, you know, I don't know how I did this, but Pamela, I do think this was, <laughs> I do think this was a, a huge blessing um, from Allah subhanAllah, that I got the, the top marks in the whole year for surgery, which was, you know, I've, I've never been like one of the top students um, I'd been, I'd done well, but I wasn't in the, you know, even I wasn't one of the kind of immediately noticeable ones as being the, you know, the cleverest or the, the highest achieving. But I really feel that getting that that in my that final mark in my surgical exam was almost like a, a sign from Allah, and that made me really give me this boost, huge boost of confidence, thinking, well, maybe I actually can do this. Maybe, maybe I can do, you know, maybe I can do surgery. So, actually, I think that was the biggest sign I felt. Um, that I was that I was guided um, towards towards that direction because otherwise I, d- I didn't have I don't think I had um, a huge amount of confidence that I'd be in inverted commas good enough you know like it, it seemed as if you had to be not just as good as the guys you had to be better than the guys because at that time it wasn't just about being wasn't just about being Muslim that was almost like secondary was just even being female in surgery was a big was a big thing. Subhanallah. Subhanallah, like God gave you that specific score so that you were, in quotes, like I said, good enough. But it must have been so hard at the time to, I guess, push through all of that. And Subhanallah, you made it. You got through all of that. Um, so beyond, I guess, medical school and getting into surgery, how was it like being a consultant and balancing it all? And I guess, what's your journey towards finding that balance? Well, I'm still working on it. Um, I don't know that I've got all the answers on that. That's what I have to um, preface this um, chat with. Um, I think I think um, you you find um, you know diff- everyone has different challenges along the way, and you just have to kind of work through them. I'd say actually being a consultant is probably um, I mean easier is not the word, but I think you have a little bit more control over your your tech working week, and um, you you've already gone through the training. So you have, you know, in terms of clinical abilities, you, you know, the clinical aspects are actually very manageable and, and um, you, you can choose a job plan, you know, you can work that through that would, that would suit you, your circumstances. Um, I think the, har- the hardest juggles was when I had young children and trying to do a full-time um, training as an SPR, especially registrar general surgery and trying to do, to complete my, my research um, degree I think that was probably 
the hardest phase um, throughout. And, and that definitely did put strains not only on me, but on, on my, my husband at the time. Um, as a couple, it was a lot for him to take on. And I have to um, have to thank him hugely for his support throughout this time. Sorry, I've just got a sniffle. So I'd say the that was definitely challenging, trying to write it, you know, get it, get up, put the put the wee one to bed. She was maybe um a year I had actually my first child I had while I was doing research. And then once I'd finished my research and I managed to get a registrar post, um, just trying to juggle getting her to, you know, getting her to sleep at night, then I'd crash out myself, wake up early, spend two hours on the on the on the PC as it was then, trying to write up my thesis. And then that would be like five to seven in the morning, then get her up ready for nursery um, or for childminder. I think at the time, my husband helped a lot with childcare over the years and then do a full-time, you know, at that time we we used to do full-time on call. So it would be like a one one night a week on call till the next day and you wouldn't come home. You would just be at the hospital till not, not just the morning till like five or six or half six the next day and then one weekend and five. So um, quite, a, that, I think that was before the working time directive came in or around that time. Um, since then, after two years of doing doing that and getting my thesis done, I um, just due, due to a bereavement in the family, it made me really put life in perspective. Um, my brother-in-law passed away, and um, it just it just made it seem that you know it's not all about work. You have to actually think about about what's important. And I decided it was a huge decision at the time. Looking back, it doesn't you know for other people now contemplating doing less than full-time um can you sorry I just had an interruption there like the for, for other folk thinking about less than full-time training it may not it seems so much I think the barriers are so much less but at that time to consider even doing less than everyone else was a huge decision and um it was um I decided, I decided I needed to make a, have a better balance. So I made the big decision to drop one day during the week, but still do full-time on-call. So I was 80% training, but doing full-time on-call because it would be very difficult to manage the on-calls. I felt with my colleagues, they would have to pick up the slack. And I just felt that actually it wasn't the out of hours that was a difficult thing. It was the during the week, the weekdays. So I would just, whichever um, team that I worked with, I would choose the day that my consultant did mostly admin so I wasn't missing out on clinical abilities and I just fit my admin I still ended up you still end up doing the same amount of work but you just do it over four days and the day that I had at home was the busiest day of all with, with the kids and then after that well with my daughter and then the um after that it, it did get a little bit more manageable choosing to just drop one day a week made a made a big difference Yes, first of all, may his soul rest in heaven, inshallah. Like by the name of Qadr, inshallah, that he rests in heaven and your brother-in-law finds Jannah before those. Um, but in terms of your decision to do LTFT and finding that true balance, what made you decide to do LTFT? Was it the bereavement that sort of tipped you to, I need to balance my family better? Or were there any other factors that contributed to your decision? I think I've been, I had been aware that I was struggling. So even though my husband who um, sadly passed away two years ago, he, he was a teacher and he was doing, he was working either, he was either teacher training or working as a teacher, but he would do, he would do like four days work and I would do, I would do five days work or he would do three days. Um, so he was very supportive in those, in those earlier years of my training. 
um, couldn't couldn't have done done it at all without his support. Um, I think I was aware that it was a struggle. So trying to try trying to be a working mum, and many many of you, if you are working mums or you know working mums, will know that the 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 juggle is is you know there's a lot of balls to to be um, keeping track of. And I was aware that it was just um, it was getting more difficult. And and then also just other family responsibilities, just my mother-in-law, um, who had had also health problems and being the eldest of four I was also I just felt responsible for my for helping my siblings out and so um it wasn't until you know though I was trying to look for ways to make life easier like get you know having a child manager having somebody to help with the housework but actually I think when when somebody like in your family passes away, it makes you really question, you know, what we're all here for, what the bigger purpose in life is. And I did not want to be working so much that I was losing out with family time as well. But I felt as if it was difficult from a surgical point of view, I almost had to justify it. And, and um, I did feel the weight of responsibility in my, my shoulders as well, that I would have to show at work that I was still able to, not only just able to do the job, but able to do it well and not let, let the, the difference in timetabling affect my training and career? Um, I guess that, oh, <laughs> you're going through a lot, like just honestly hearing about all of this, I feel like crying. I don't know how you're making it through. It must have been a really difficult time for you, I guess, losing your brother-in-law, coming to that realization. Then your husband, may his soul rest in heaven. But how did your sort of balance change becoming a single mother? And I guess it's a lot more work when you don't have someone else there to depend on. So how did your priorities, I guess, shift? Well, I guess, I've, I guess, it, um, I mean, alhamdulillah, I'm blessed with so much support from my friends and family. And work has been so, my colleagues have been amazing. I work with an amazing team um, at Cross House Hospital in Ayrshire. So, I think the first thing is recognizing that you can't you can't look after other people if you're not well, and that you have to actually make sure you're able to just um, you're able to look after. Well, obviously, my first responsibility is the children. So, um, currently, I have three children. Lena is nineteen; she's she's now studying abroad. Jana is fifteen, and my youngest, Mohammed, is five. So um, at the time when my husband died, it was quite relatively sudden. Over a period of a few weeks, he became unwell and then was diagnosed with an aggressive bladder cancer and um, was home for 10 days before he passed away. Um, there's, you know, I don't know if for, for those of you who experienced um, bereavement and loss, it take, you know, it just goes through different phases. It takes time to, to actually sink in. It takes time to process it. Um, but with with time it does get easier I mean everyone says that it is such a cliche but it's so true um, I think I feel that my identity as a person is very linked to my my role as a surgeon as a doctor and it was very it was actually very odd just to have time at home with the kids and not be working but in retrospect I realized that that was actually very important and very healing for me initially I thought I would go back to work after a few months but I actually went back to work after eight, eight months um, and I did need that time. Um, since then, 
there's been challenges, but we're working through them. So you just take each day as it comes. And I think underlying it all, you need to just, if you need help, you need to just get help from other people where you can. And I keep telling myself this, it's hard to ask for help sometimes, but I've become better at asking for help and delegating definitely. Um, Because that you just need, you can't just do it all yourself. You have to reach out. Honestly, all I could say is may Allah grant you patience. I can only imagine or be- I can't even begin to understand what you're going through. It seems like a lot. And um, I, I guess with everything that you've gone through, what role did Allah play or religion play in helping you in all of this? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, I was going to say that as well, that... Um, Alhamdulillah for our faith because it really you know in times like this um you you see the bit you know you try and keep the bigger picture in mind and what really helped was that my husband was so ready um he was he was so prepared and that really makes it easier because he you know he was um he was able to see that bigger picture and so he so by by seeing his strength, um, it, it just gives an example and allows me to, to just continue to ask Allah to forgive him for, for any wrongdoing he's done to help him in his path with Alana. And also it helps me to explain that to, to my children, especially my son who's you know very young still and still learning. Um, I th- think it's best if we just all take a moment out to read uh, Surah Al-Fatiha for his soul. We'll just take a minute, um, recollect ourselves, and everyone just pray for him that he finds his way to the little for those. We'll reconvene in just one minute. Um, I think all of us at times reflect on what we're going through and how everything we're going through impacts us, but it's um, good to see it from your perspective when we see such a strong warrior like you going through surgery, raising a five-year-old on your own, mashallah, like mashallah, God's given you so much patience and so much power and I'm glad that you took that time out, that those extra months away from work, because it really seems like you're a much better place right now. And um, and how you've sort of come to grasps with the grief. Like, I don't think I've ever, over time, as you said, time heals. I don't think I've ever come to that realization where I've let someone go or let someone I've forgiven someone, I guess. Uh, but alhamdulillah, God's given you so much patience and so much power. And may Allah all grant us all um, that same resilience to cope through life, to cope through all these challenges that are facing us, um, especially as you know, Muslims, as surgeons, as everything that's going to come our way. And you seem like you've balanced it so well, mashallah. You keep underestimating yourself. Like, I don't think I found it so on your way. But mashallah, you're such a long way into it. And may Allah help you further and give you more strength and more power. Um, I mean, I guess. <laughs> I, don't, 
I don't know. I think I think definitely need more balance. <laughs> <laughs> we we can all we can all work, I guess. We the can all work. Yeah. I've recently started I've recently started an art class, which is something I've been meaning to do for a long time. And that's and and it's those kind of things, just um finding something out with just family pressures and you know that just the, the general to do it list we all have to do, you know, getting the shopping done, try and keep on top of the washing, trying to, you know, make sure that you know you're <laughs> you've topped up the fuel in the car and that you're not running out so you don't you know run out on the motorway to work. Um, all of those simple things at the same time it's good to have something that um that takes me away from from all of that but um I must say my big you know my biggest source of strength alhamdulillah my faith but also my family and friends who've been absolutely amazing um and supporting me throughout this all these years not just not just the last couple of difficult years but just beyond that you really have you know my mother my mother's Irish she lives in Ireland um but for my exams my FRCS exams she took the girls at that time I just had Lena and Janna they were it was what 2011 so she took them for a week and I got more done more studying done in that one week than in three months of trying to study and work so <laughs> you just have to you know take the help when you get it um and also outsource <laughs> when you can <laughs> I've got a lady that, lady that helps in the, with the housework as well Osma she's um an amazing support and she she now does a bit of child mending for me as well but she's been she's been there since Jenna was a baby and I think if you can get somebody to just um I've never felt that we should be it's just weird doesn't it like somebody walks into the house I, I I would feel this like if I just come back from work I'd be in the house five minutes hadn't been there the whole day place is a mess and then if somebody passes by like why do I immediately feel the need to say oh I've not been here all day like as if it's my <laughs> my job as the mom but it is it's like as women we just feel this responsibility that if the place doesn't look right if there's no I don't know cupboards aren't topped up it's our um you know it's our, our our role to sort it out whereas actually it's you know it's not it's a team it's a team effort but we still feel I still would feel the burden of like oh I'm sorry the place is such a mess <laughs> and I think one of the things I've learned um is really just to ex- I've, I've had to accept kind of less in terms of what's normal so instead some people may be very house proud and want everything absolutely in its place and that'd be lovely I really I'm still aspiring to that not quite there um but just having to just accept that you know what you're not going to get you're not always going to have like a mountain a house without a mountain of washing needing done maybe one day but not to sweat it you know there's just to to try and um if you if I've got time I've always just tried to spend the time with the kids um take them out to the park go and do something fun the boring stuff will get done eventually and it has to be done um but but not to not to try and do too much of that either like I related so much with that um, piling laundry and um, all the little things. I guess people don't like when you say, oh, yeah, I'm a surgeon. All they think about is all the work stuff you have to do. But then they forget about all the little mundane things in life that you kind of need to stay on top of. But these struggles, honestly, I can relate to so much. And I'm sure everyone here can relate to them. And um, with these hard balances that come our way, it's great that you have that support network. But I've been on these, I guess, podcasts before, and a lot of surgeons are against hiring help or hiring a nanny. Um, and my question is sort of what made you have that decision that you do need someone um, to help you outside of your family or your friends? Oh, that's not difficult. Um, it's, that's, not, 
that's not been a difficult one. Um, I think, I mean, I mentioned my husband, Anis, um, was a teacher. So we've always, we've always really tried to, to you know, it's, it's not just about, um, so his, he's been educationalist in family. He's always, we've always tried to look at kind of a holistic approach to our children's education. The, the, there's the Steiner School in Glasgow where, where we live, which has a very holistic approach to, to teaching and educating children. Um, unfortunately, the school's no longer not no longer there, but that that was really important in my eldest and second daughter's younger years. But there's still the you still need help around um, around childcare because what we would try and do would be to minimise the time that we needed extra help. And so whatever days we could do during the week ourselves, then that's what we would manage. But it was like a, you know we'd often sit down and just have a you know, you're just planning out the rota basically, but there are there are you do need extra help. We've never had a full time nanny. We've had a mixture of, of supports over the years, um, and off, um, and sometimes it is very patchy. And, and a lot of the time, actually, it's it's relying on 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 friends and trying to do like a cooperative approach as well. So one of the other things that we've we've tried, my my eldest daughter Lena will say that we've experimented with her education, which is quite true. We did some homeschooling for a while as well, which um, my husband was the main the main one with that, but the the difference with homeschooling is it's it's trying to balance education with childcare, and that's what what school does pr- provide. Um, if you're you can fit the education in, you know, definitely. Even though my husband took the main for for a few, we did that for a few years. Although he took the main role in home educating, I was still doing. I had to do my role was um, I do baking with Lena at the weekends. I would read her chapter of her history book every night at bedtime, and. Um, you know, take my day off. We'd, we'd we'd we would go to we you know some some place out like whether it's a museum or a park or you know you can do home educating in so many different ways. Whether it's just counting up the budgeting for the shopping list or practicing reading and writing, it's not. And I think people have a much better idea of what home educate home ed might be like now from from our COVID experience. Um, I think we were very conscious though that we didn't want other people to be bringing up our children it was a it was very much a, a team effort and although my husband did the bulk of it um that's that was agreed between us that I would go out and generally do maybe four days and he would do three days but um that that suited his his persona as well he liked he, lo- he loved children he loved spending time with kids not just not just our own so he had a lot of other projects always on the go, um, other kind of after school activities or weekend things that he would get involved in, and scouts particularly as well. So I, I always used to tell myself as well, the, the example of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi like, you know, at the time of, of an, uh, their culture, they would actually give their children away to some complete stranger, for, you know, for years at a time. Maybe visit them. You don't know if like, you know, did, did um, Halima Saadiya, did, he, did they have access visits? Did you know the, during those difficult years in the desert? But I used to always think, well, you know, if that's what, <laughs> that's, that's complete child minding. Um, so I, uh, you know, I think if, if you can do more than that, then you're, you're, you're there, <laughs> you're there more as a parent, inshallah. Allah alam. Inshallah. The way you put it with the Rasul that's beautiful, I guess. Oh, I always take him as a role model, so putting it into that perspective, <laughs> I think completely changed my view on childminders. Um, um, and I guess taking the Prophet as a role model, what else do you take him as a role model in when well, you're going through the life with surgery and as well, a mother? Just, 
I mean, as a mother, I was always really, you know, it was, it's become more fashionable. Breast, breastfeeding was a big thing for me. Not, and it's not just because I've ended up in, as a breast surgeon, but just always knowing the benefits of it. Um, Lena being 19 now at the time, I think maybe only 20% of women, of mums breastfed beyond, I don't know, something like three months or, or six months. I can't remember the exact numbers. Um, I think things are a little bit better now, but there's still the rate, rates of breastfeeding at six months are still quite low. So that was one of the first things that I really felt strongly about. Um, that I really wanted to to be able to breastfeed for for as long as I was able to. I wasn't. I was only able for nine months with Lena because I had was diagnosed with a thyroid condition. I had to stop, um, but I managed fifteen months with Janna, even going back to work at at um, eight months for her. And even with Muhammad, I breastfed him until he was two, and I went back to work at ten months or to eleven months with Annie leave. So that was the first thing that I think not not just that's a prophetic tradition but also just knowing from the you know the science and the nutrition aspects and the bonding as well it's really good for attachment and all all the things you learn about about child development um and yeah you can you can definitely be a breastfeeding mom surgeon but it does take a bit of organizing um and what the other things let's think I think just trying to be nice but it's hard <laughs> trying to be nice to your children um we try and make we try and make Jomam special so just like um you know obviously Jomam Mubarak and I try and give my son a treat on Jomam um and then making Aid special as well so it's not just birthdays and and other secular holidays that are that are special but even even the from I think the, the other thing is really just you know when their babies read Quran to them when they're older teach them Quran but stories of the prophet just develop that 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 um, love of the seerah. Um, my middle one is having a difficult time just now. She's fifteen. She's really struggling with her identity and her faith, and I think a lot of it's to do with losing her dad at such a kind of um, turning point. But just making diet, you know, people say, okay, the only thing you can do is make diet. It's not the only thing. That's the biggest thing. That is the the most. You know, it's not. You know, some. It seems as if that's just a small you know if you can't do anything else make diet but that's the first thing you do so you know we have the examples of Noah um his son turned away and no matter you know even if you're a prophet your children may not not go down the path that you want them to but inshallah um inshallah that Allah has planned for each of us and I think whatever roots you instill in them will will you know will come will bear fruit and May Allah be the judge of that. Allah knows what's in our heart. So um, I think it's just sometimes it's it's it, it can seem overwhelming, but if you just try and go back to basics, remember the examples of the prophets, um, alayhim salam, and um, and just say, you know, just 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 say your da'a and your rod when you can. Um, and and often, you know, it's it's actually when you're at your lowest points <laughs> that you then reconnect with Allah. You know, it's easy when the sun's shining and you're out just having ice cream <laughs> that's you know we don't we maybe don't always remember Allah in the in the, the happy times as much as we should but it's when things are difficult that's when you, you you strengthen your connection and you get back on track um and Ramadan's like that as well it's hard when you're you know it's the same thing physically you're fasting and you're tired and you've got a headache or you're tired um you've not slept very well but you know that's that's why it's there it, re it recharges us and and it just realigns our us inshallah along right way just before we move on to the next question if anyone has any questions um we'll soon be starting the q a segment 
So there's a Q&A button at the bottom and you can just put your questions there. And when we move on to the Q&A, I can ask the questions that you have to Suzanne, inshallah. And Suzanne, you did mention that um, when things get harder in life, we try and find God or get closer to God. May Allah guide us all, you know, but um, does did you find that surgery? I know it's difficult and with all of that, did it get you closer to God or further away from God? Well, it's on a practical level, it's hard. To, it is hard to manage your prayers at work just on, on the most basic practical level um not so much if I'm doing clinics but when I was a, definitely when I was a trainee and doing on calls and you know you don't get time to eat let alone you know let alone trying to find two minutes to pray so there have there have been days that I would just just not find you know just the whole day goes crazy you've got sick patients all over um and then you know I definitely found that was difficult at the end of the day praying two or three you know prayers when I when I got a chance um, that's become easier as as I'm not had I, I've not had to balance on calls. Um, as general surgeon, we would be on call um, quite a lot <laughs> during our training. And in theatre, you could often theatre is a little bit easier because you actually do you know as you know you get gaps between the patients, um, and you just need to work out a kind of safe space. There's not it's not always practical to to use the the hospital um, cha- um, chapel or a lot of places now I think are much better set up with quiet rooms and prayer spaces for, for staff, but that wasn't always the case. Um, I think though, spiritually speaking, subhanAllah doing surgery, I mean, I just, I just see it as subhanAllah. I'm just so grateful and blessed. That I've got this, this ability. That I can do this type of work, but you just see, you know, you see inside us all, you know, it's amazing. It's, you know, medicine anyway is, is so inspiring because you, subhanAllah all the, all the homeostatic mechanisms and all the intriguing cycles of like you know everything that that work you know is normally working in perfect balance and then if one little thing is out of sync it all you know things fall apart and go wrong but with surgery you're getting to see the subhanallah just creation at its you know so close up um and and i think and i think that is you know that continues to be a reminder of how how um you know you look at the trees but you also look at humanity and you look at how our bodies are made and how they function subhanallah that is is very spiritually connecting and I find I find a lot of strength from that very rewarding as well I think being being able to give back to people I think being able to 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 work with people whether it's it's other colleagues it's staff nurses in the ward but also patients if you can just try and be a good person then if that does one little thing as well in terms of changing maybe somebody's perception about Muslims or about Islam then that also is a, is a is a source of dawah. You don't need to actually spell it out or or you know say, but if it's Ramadan, you know, taking in some bitlawa for Eid, um, like just little things like that can make a difference to um to share our experience as Muslims that and also not being afraid to you know to talk about it. Like I've, I've, whenever I'm, it's Ramadan, if the days that I'm not fasting um due to menstruation you know I, I wouldn't hide that I would just <laughs> you know I need to eat so I'm gonna eat and if once someone wants to ask me it's like oh you know you spend so long <laughs> like at the beginning of Ramadan explaining oh no I'm fasting I'm not you know I'm not doing this and then it's like two weeks later you're oh you're not fasting today <laughs> and you're like yes well actually um but it's you know it's um it's good that you noticed um so those those are the opportunities that you get you get and I think we're very privileged to have this position not only in society but just amongst colleagues um to be able to 
to share a little bit of our of our insight and our experience with Muslims. So that that helps as well because you feel you're actually um, able to share your Islamicness with others. Um, you've been a trainee for so long, and how did that <laughs> acceptance? I get. <laughs> I know for so long. <laughs> like you, you were here for basically the last since the last um sort of century and things changed a lot over those years yeah um not you're young love i just no, want things the, after yeah how has that acceptance and you embodying your islam at work changed over the years and how do you think we can take it further from here um take it further so i think i've um i know that hijab hijab well has it changed um I think just having you know just being where I work now they've got they've got the chapel but they've also got a quiet room for prayer but but sometimes with theatre it's not practical to go all the way to the other end of the hospital when I've only got like 10 minutes because you know mashallah aesthetic colleagues are so mine are so efficient and the you know the turnaround time um sometimes is quicker than you would like, like all those surgically it's good to get the turnaround time quick so I can get through the list but um I have a there's a like there's a series of rooms right immediately next door to the theater block that I can go and pray in in between operations now and it's and it's also being able to say to other staff um actually I'm just gonna you know just gonna go I've got I'm gonna say my prayers and you lock the door I had a, a colleague um that I shared a room with um a male colleague our office was was a shared office and we worked out a system that if you know, normally if I was in, I wouldn't lock the door, but if I was praying, I would lock the door. And I worked out a system with him. He wasn't Muslim that um, I'd put an elastic band on the on the door knob so he would know that I was praying. Like it didn't happen very often, but I just would feel really uncomfortable if I was praying. He would walk in because I just felt I couldn't concentrate and he would feel awkward. But by being able to explain that to him, he was fine with it and he was able to just go away and do something for, you know, a few minutes. Um, it didn't happen very often, but just being able to, I felt... I think as I've become older and just having more confidence, not only in myself as a Muslim, but just more confidence that Islam is actually a more recognised religion and um, there's more open-mindedness, I think, in my experience as well. Um, then, and there's also all this chat about diversity and you know people being who they are, that it's been easier to have those conversations with colleagues when I've needed to. I think that's been a big sea change. Um, from a practical point of view, you know, we all have to be like bare below the elbow and stuff. So that's and and as I said in in theatre, I don't wear I don't wear hijab headdress. I wear like if I've I've got my own cloth hat now, but if I don't have that with me, I wear like the, the theatre hats but doubled so they're not as see through. And then the you'll know the scrub tops are so so awfully 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 um air airy. <laughs> so I usually will tape that up. To try and you know close up the neck, but I know that um, you know you can wear it sometimes. Wear a top underneath as well, but not. To being honest, I'm not can not consistently always. So try once you're scrubbed up, though you're pretty. You know, niqabi anyway. You know, with your mask, your head headgear, and the big long gown. Um, I think in my earlier years, I kind of just accepted that this is what I had to wear to be able to do the job, and you know for the safety of patients, etc. I think now. My friend Abda um, showed me a picture of, of these hijabi top head headgear that you can wear in theatre, but I've not actually gone ahead and got one. And and yeah, that's on me. Um, other other aspects 
that have changed. I think just the openness, being able to talk about it to other people, um, and that most people are most people haven't learned like are open minded and not prejudiced. We haven't learned my experience. Sorry, I'm a bit of a rambling answer. <laughs> my answers are a bit rambling. No worries. <laughs> I think you you got your point across really well. And uh, in terms of the disposable hijabs, uh, Dr. Farah Roslin, the woman who pioneered them, is actually the uh, um, uh, is actually the head surgeon at. Um, well, Muslim woman in surgery. She was one of the pioneers that started it up. So inshallah, we could connect you, and inshallah, you could get some uh, some hijabs once they're uh, more mass produced. And it's actually great to see that now we can go into surgery, keep our identities, and I guess not feel so self conscious about the bare neck or the bare chest, um, um, especially when we're donning and doffing for surgery. Uh, but since it's Laylatul Qadr tonight, do you have any advice for the audience in terms of balancing their ibadah and their religion with their studies slash their um, medical careers? So how to balance studying and and ibadah, ibadah especially at Laylatul Qadr? I think I think I think it's the same as with you know. I would just give this to any anyone really. It's not just about anyone studying. Um, you know, just. It's like the little things it's just being it's just mindfulness so you know if you're like i always try and i always try but i can't i can't always remember but i do try and say bismillah before i start operating um and surat alamna shahdak sadrak as well help is is very helpful and um to you know to just have that recognition that you know you you've got skills and you you've got knowledge and you try your best but at the end of the day um at the end of the day you know we're all in Allah's Allah's hands and and at His mercy, and it's it's only by the will of Allah that anything that anything happens. So I think just those little those, those are the specific things actually to, with operating. I think with with knowledge, you can make you know just making just it's just about trying just to have your best intentions. You know, asking Allah that that what you know, ask yourself why you're you're learning. Um, a lot of time it's just to pass the exam, so you don't have to do this awful exam ever again. But trying to you know you're by learning about the body by learning about disease and how to help it there's so many you know there's so many routes to inshallah attaining blessings with that so you know the same thing that you're going to do it doesn't take any extra to to just have a moment of, of asking Allah for for you know for help with it um and also the intention as well as you know it's huge it really gives you that inshallah that that inspiration to to make the best of it but anything you do whether you know you know I should tell myself this more, but when we're tight, you know, tidying up it, and as often as Amen, all of these, all of the things we do, just being mindful, and then it doesn't really take much extra apart from just being aware of, of that. I think that helps, you know, whether it's waking up in the morning, um, putting time aside for your studies, just even on the and on transport, you know, you can just making a dot in the, in the car. So all of those things are are helpful, but I think. Um, I think if you can try and help other people along the way, then inshallah, Allah will give you tawfiq as well with what you're doing. So like, and also I think trying to, to surround yourself with good company. So like-minded people, um, if you've got other, other people that you know that are studying as well, and they're, whether, you know, like helping each other, whether Muslim or non-Muslim, I think just having, you know, the company of good people is, um, is good for you, it's good for your, your soul. Inshallah. Allahu alam.
Um, one. Um, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, that's 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 it. Um. Well, I well, these are all great tips, mashallah. There, even like when you said on the journeys, I thought straight away. I was trying to find the name of it, but there's like these Islamic podcasts that you can sort of just turn on that will take you through so many different lessons every day. It's just 10, 15 minutes and you're just sitting in the car anyway or sitting in the bus or so whatever you're doing. There are always these uh, programs that try to make religion more accessible. And my grandma always used to tell me to always, before you go into, whether it's hospital or go to uni, renew your intentions that you're doing this for Allah and Allah will give you hasanat and will give you... Um, for basically just going to uni but just learning about the human body because your intention is to get closer to me to like you said be more mindful of what we're doing why we're doing it and um get to try to get closer to Allah inshallah so we have a couple of questions in the q a i just wanted to use the last two three minutes to sort of ask those the first question says you are amazing and such an inspiration to every Muslim. Mashallah, I agree. Um, when you were making the decisions on family, work, and religion balance with your husband, may Allah Azawajal grant him a journey to Jannah for those. What was the most key aspects that you sort of discussed with your husband that allowed you to reach the best conclusions or the best rotas, as you call them? <laughs> I guess, I mean, I guess it's just trying to figure out what your what are your aims and what are the priority of those aims so um you know we would we would regularly have family we would regularly have family meetings anyway with the, with the children maybe once a week or once a month about what you know whether we're planning holidays or days out um but then myself and my husband would would also usually in the summer try and figure out right what are we doing, what are we doing this year and every, there was a few years that there was like a few years in a row that every single year at least one of our children was changing educational place whether it's school or their home ed we were in a home ed group with other parents at one point um so every, it's really just about sitting down working out right what do you absolutely have to do and what do I absolutely have to do who can help where what days can they help where and then what else are you going to fill the gaps with so um the, I think the biggest thing is really just trying to is trying to it was trying to meet both of our objectives so for me it was okay I have to work but there was also things that would come along that I really wanted to do you know I've always been involved in training um so I was involved with the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons Glasgow Training Committee I sat on council for that and then I've always wanted like been involved in I like I like going to meetings and, and conferences and so you have to it's not just it's not just the you know the eight till six during the week or the on calls it's also um, school holidays you have to work in and if I was going away to a conference then how what other things could I put in place to make it easier for my husband to manage those two or three days without me so although he was really he was really hands-on and with with the school pickups and drop-offs but we often would have help from other family and friends not so much family but friend um who don't live close but, but friends but also um but also um trying to see what you know what like if I was going away for a couple of days I would try and make sure that you know at least dinners weren't going to be complicated for him to have to think about in addition to looking after the kids it was, you know there's stuff in the freezer that you could just whip out and pop in the oven so it, it, it does take a bit of planning a little bit of discussion community I'd say we had reasonable communication it could have been better sometimes we didn't always understand each other as well as I would have liked um 
you know sometimes I think back and think don't sweat the small stuff you know like we get caught up a little bit with the you know the the nitty-gritty but just try and be try, try and help each other and try and achieve what your objectives are and inshallah you'll you'll find a solution sometimes it did seem as if we can't really take all the boxes here but then something would come along and it would sort itself out subhanallah we managed <laughs> I think um so I think you just have to look at what's actually important. I hope that answers your question. I don't know if that's what you're, the answer you're looking for. Um, Miss Anonymous. <laughs> and thank you. Um, sorry, I, I think that's perfect. Oh, the final question is, Salam, amazing talk. Could I ask why you chose breast surgery as a specialty? Oh, that's a good one. So it was a bit of a, a long decision in the making. When I first started general surgery, I loved GI stuff. I just loved, just loved like upper G, GI, but especially middle, what I would call middle GI. There's no such thing as middle GI, but I just loved doing laparotomies and, and, um, and just the generality of surgery and breast surgery at that time. And it's, it has changed a lot as well. The perception of breast surgery just seemed like this thing that was a bit boring. It was just mastectomies and lumpectomies. And it was like two operations this is my, I'm talking about, this is what my early surgical SHO, so about the, the millennium, so around the turn of the century, 2000, 2001, that kind of time, it just didn't seem that interesting. Um, I think my experience of just, when I was in, when I was a GHO junior house officer, um, you know, some women were having frozen sections and and then would have, they'd wake up and have a mastectomy. We've gone a long way since then. That doesn't happen anymore thank goodness they you know they know what they're having for the operation and they're counseled i think during my registrar years then i although i, re, I did my research in pancreat in pancreatic in pancreatitis acute pancreatitis and interleukin six um looking at cytokines and the kind of severe organ failure with pancreatitis and and that was really that was also very interesting but as i was training in general surgery I began, I got put in a unit in Glasgow Royal Infirmary um, where I thought I was going to be doing some more GI, but I had to do breast surgery for six months. And I was really, I was really annoyed because I was like, I don't want to do this. I want to do like lap collies. And so we had to compromise. I'd get to do a lap collie list once a week and but I'd need, they needed someone in the breast, the breast team to do the clinics and to help the surgery and stuff. And it was through, it really was, it, I guess it was that job that actually made me realise that the more time I spent with the patients there's a lot of talking in, in breast surgery and you can you can you can hear that I can definitely talk <laughs> so I like the chat and I like I found it really rewarding and I think that was a turning point that I really enjoyed um the patient experience the clinics and realized that as I was getting more responsibility there was a lot more to it than 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 what I perceived and then having worked with another surgeon Miss Whitford Phil Whitford who's now an MP she's having a second career she was um, one of my trainers at Crosshouse Hospital and she was an amazing inspiration. She was a, a, she was a mother. She was a surgeon who had gone through, I mean, her stories are even more like unbelievable. Um, when she was training, she even spent a couple of, of years in, in Jerusalem working there with the Palestinians. But she, she was a real, um, she was the, responsible for doing quality improvement program for screening and breast surgery. And, monitoring the quality of the screening program um I learned a lot from her and 
at that point, I think I, I did kind of finalise my decision to do breast surgery. And also, when I can't be ignored the huge lifestyle difference that with breast surgery, you could do breast surgery and you don't have, you know, more and more. It was very common in Glasgow and the west of Scotland for breast surgeons to be doing the on-call, general on-call and doing breast surgery. Now that's very, very, it's a very small minority in small units. Um, but the majority of breast surgeons now just do the kind of elective, an elective role. You know, you're still on, occasionally you'll have somebody that has a hematoma post-op maybe once a year but generally there's not a lot of out of hours work at all and that was a big that was also a big factor but I really did come to appreciate the complexity of the decision making breast surgery I like the collaborative aspects I like the MTT working um and the the collegiate experience as well you know not all breast patients are the same they're all you have to tailor your operation you know it's quite creative as well you actually have to tailor the, the surgery to the disease process so for particularly for trying to conserve that's one of my interests is just trying to conserve um you know to go along conservation options rather than mastectomy where possible and oncoplastic surgeries changed that dramatically in the last 10 years so it's a really growing it's a really growing field there's you know there's so much more we're learning about how to treat breast cancer and individualizing treatment the mdt so um it's quite full on. You have to, you know, it's not just a matter of, oh, you have breast surgery, we're doing X, Y, Z. They actually have to look at all the, the, the aspects of their disease and tailor the, the treatment accordingly. So it's very, it's got its own kind of intellectual challenge and a creative challenge. And it's a great team to work in. If you have good colleagues like me, <laughs> alhamdulillah. Um, well, uh, thank you so much. But there's one last question in the Q&A that someone just put in. Are you okay to answer more? Yeah. Or yeah. Um, so they said, Salam, what would you say about the current situation of women in surgery? Uh, and would you say with increasing competition, uh, family women in surgeries have a fair chance of competing? You know, I don't, Alhamdulillah, I think there's so many more women now in surgery than before. Um, there's very good role models in, in all of the surgical colleges. And I don't think, I, I don't think it's about seeing yourself as a, as a, as a mum or as a, a woman it's it's about what you're you know what you are as a person what are you going to bring to the table are you committed can you can you can you problem solve can you work with other people can you communicate have you got reasonable technical skills that can be worked on I mean I, I think people who know me probably think I'm a bit of a, of a, of a klutz like I'm not probably the most elegant <laughs> lady out there but at the same time I've got small small size six hands and um you know you can you can learn you definitely you know you learn on the job and if you have an ability for it, I think an affinity for it I think I've always said this to any trainee um you know male or female Muslim or non-Muslim that if you have a love for something a passion for something you're going to be you're going to be much better at that than anything else you can always work you know you can always tailor a job eventually to suit your you know there's part-time jobs that you can do job plans can be adapted you can you know there's more opportunity now for time out there's it's so much more acceptable to be to do less than full-time training and so what if it takes longer you know it's what you do it's what your experience is as you're doing it that that's really your experience of life so don't don't think about it is difficult there are challenges but there are solutions as well you just have to to kind of look for them and talk to, you know talk to people that 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 maybe you know around you or maybe you know women in other specialties have, have, have they'll, they'll maybe give you some suggestions um there's so much more online now blogs and you know whatsapp groups physician mums and surgery is a good one um where people can share ideas about how they've tackled different things um 
I think with the online, you know, we didn't have all that, <laughs> all that 20 years ago. There's, um, there, so I think if you, if you have a love for surgery, don't, don't let being a mum stop you. It's, um, alhamdulillah, it's an, a great, great um, career. And actually, I think, you know, I think people see being GPs as, as like slightly, you know, maybe an easier option, but I don't think GPs easy at all. Yeah, actually, it's a very, very demanding job. You have a lot, a lot to juggle. Um, I've got friends who are GPs so I've got huge respect for. Um, I don't think that the complexity of their job is often appreciated and what they actually have to manage. Um, they actually have to know so much about so many different aspects, whereas surgery you get the ability to, you know, to kind of get a lot of knowledge about one area and, and become more expert at it. But you can, inshallah, you can juggle it. Just, just be brief. <laughs> I hope that helps. Yeah, that's answered the question. Alhamdulillah. Um, may uh, I think that's the perfect point to wrap up our episode. And thank you so much, Jazakallah Khair, for coming today um, and sharing this experience with us and being so vulnerable and so raw. I think it, a lot of us will be able to gain a lot from it. And inshallah, I'll share the episode um, on later today and share the link out for anyone on our social media so you can listen back to any parts that you liked and um, may Allah grant everyone that you've lost a little for those and guide us all to the right path inshallah. Thank you so much Zuzi for, Zuzi for having me, it's been lovely to speak to you today, thank you Thank you so much Goodbye everyone Bye -bye.